Hey, my fellow monkeys, what's up? Old Uncle Silverback here with you on the Armed Ape Podcast, the show where we review and talk about everything from guns, gear, and movies to life in general. Nothing is ever out of bounds. As always, everything we talk about has the end goal of making our lives better by cutting through all the marketing BS using logic, reason, and honest discussions. I look forward to hearing from you soon and to your participation in the show. Hello, my beautiful monkeys. What is up? On the show today with me, I have our old friend and fellow monkey, Ken, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Black Mirror, the White Bear episode. But before we do that stuff, let's talk about the date and get our contact info out of the way. Today is Sunday. It is the 23rd of June, 2019. If you'd like to contact me, I do have a couple of different ways that you can do that. We have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. There is the email address where you can send in your own audio, or if you want to send in an email, I'll read that stuff out for you on the air. That is thearmedape at gmail.com, all one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. On the website, which is thearmedape.com, there is a PayPal donation button. And if you like the show and want to support it financially, you can do a donation there. All right, enough of that stuff. Like I said a little bit earlier, we are going to be talking about uh, the Netflix series Black Mirror. And this is from Season 2, Episode 2, and this is called White Bear. Now, I think, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think... Season 2, Netflix hadn't picked up the stuff yet. I think this was still maybe its own series still in in England. Oh, um, I think I, you're right. I, I did, they, did they go two or three seasons, and then I think maybe the third season Netflix picked them up? I can't remember. I don't, I don't know for sure, but you, you're probably right on that. That yeah. seems correct. I just don't know for sure. So, yeah, so the the show definitely still has a very kind of English feel to it. And, of course, all the actors and everything in there are, uh, you know, from either the UK or from, you know, somewhere in Europe, that type of thing. This episode of, of season two, and actually probably of the series, was, I would say, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a spoiler alert uh, as far as kind of what I thought of it was one of my favorites. I was very intrigued by this from the start. Um, I think I've only seen it twice. I watched it when it maybe first kind of had come out, and then I watched it again a couple of days ago in preparation for the show. And my memory from the first time I watched it was a little bit different. I had a few details kind of jumbled up, but I still really liked it. Uh, And I actually did pick up on a few extra things, not a whole lot extra. It's a pretty straightforward story, but a few extra things that I kind of missed in the, in the first part. So what I'll do is 
And on with this one, I think what we'll do is we'll try and go kind of in a linear fashion as far as what happens in the show because there is a there is a <clears throat> twist uh, as as most of the Black Mirror stuff it does, uh, and it right. comes toward the end of the show or the episode, excuse me. And I think by going linear we'll be able to kind of maybe pick a point where we can say, okay, you know, if you don't want to know the twist then we'll sort of stop here and, and then can go watch it and then come back and join us later. So what we'll do, let me, uh, I'll just start off with kind of giving kind of a, a, a synopsis of it. And then during any time in there, just go ahead and jump in. If you got anything to add, or if you want to make a point or if I'm missing something or if sure. the, uh, that type of thing. So the, the episode opens and there is a, a woman who we later in the episode, we get her name as, as Victoria. And she wakes up, she's sitting in a chair, she's in this dark room. You can tell that when she wakes up, she's confused. She has some bandages on her wrists and she's got uh, what looks to be like a pretty bad headache. There's a TV on and it has this symbol, which is kind of like, oh like a real blocky style upside down Y, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so if you took, like, if you took a square and you cut out the bottom of it and you took that long part and then stacked it up on top. So it would kind of almost look like the old uh, space invaders, little fort that you would hide under type thing. There are on the floor at her feet, there are a bunch of spilled pills. She goes up to the, the window. She opens it up. And she looks out and it appears to be as far as timeline, I think it's morning because the, the color palette is kind of the blues. It's kind of cool. So I think it's supposed to be early morning for her. Um, she looks out on what I would think would be probably like a typical, oh, like suburb type thing, maybe like a, maybe out in a, in a small town type thing, but a typical maybe English countryside town. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think especially if you're an English audience, that would be super familiar to you. Um, and then she was dressed in almost what you would look at like uh, like either sleepwear or kind of like if you're lounging around the house. So she's almost like she's in pajamas type thing. She goes downstairs. She, she sees there's a water glass on the counter and she you know, fills it up and just, you know, pounds down some water so you can tell she's pretty dehydrated. She goes by a, um, like there's a calendar on the wall. It doesn't, I, I, I tried to notice if it had a year on it. It didn't have a year, but it does has the date of October uh, 17th. And it, all those dates from the 1st to the 17th have been crossed off. So I think in the world of the show, it's supposed to be October 18th. There's also another TV that's on downstairs and it's showing the same symbol. She is looking around the house. Again, she's kind of confused. She goes up to the mantle and she finds a framed photo of probably her and her husband or her boyfriend. And outside of that framed photo, kind of stuck in between the frame and the glass is a picture of a little girl. Uh, looks kind of like what you would get at school type thing. So, and she looks at it and she has... I don't know. I, at first I thought she didn't really have any recognition at all, but do you think, I think she kind of at least recognizes the kid a little bit or she, the, the look on her face made me think that she recognizes the kid, but she's not kind of entirely sure of who she is because she doesn't really, she doesn't understand who she is herself. Yeah. 
and seeing the the little girl in the picture, you could see the puzzlement on her face of like, hmm, who you know, who is this? Is am I, is this my daughter? Who or or who is this? Yeah, and she um, like just from her emotional state though, you know, she's to. to this is, a, I think, a part of the show that it does really well is you are kind of right away sort of identifying with her as a character. Like, oh, man, if I woke up in this place and I'm things are kind of familiar, but kind of not. And like, this is probably my house, but maybe it is. Maybe it's not, you know, all that turmoil and everything. And then, you know, you see a picture of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and some, some other people who you maybe recognize, maybe you don't. But um, so she goes out to kind of outside the house to try and figure out what's going on. And then she, she sees when she looks around at other houses that there are people looking down from her or down at her from their windows and they're filming her. And so she starts asking for help and, and trying to talk to them, but all they do is sort of just stare at her. No one will inter, uh, interact with her in any way. So she kind of wanders around some more Then a blue, like an older Rolls Royce pulls up and a man in I think it would you would maybe recognize that kind of as like a typical maybe a a type of a hunting jacket it looks like. Anyway, he gets mm-hmm. out, he's got a, a ski mask on and painted on the front of that ski mask is the same symbol that she's seen on the on the TVs. Oh, and I should say too that when she looked at the photograph, she had a little bit of a flashback and that flashback you could tell was kind of kind of painful to her. Uh, like it was like physically causing her discomfort type stuff. So she watches the guy get out. He goes around to the back of the car and just whips out a shotgun and starts running towards her. So she takes off. At this point, other people are coming out of their houses and they're filming her. She, in trying to get away from him, runs up to like a, uh, I don't know, almost like a quick trip type thing, like a gas station convenience store type deal. And there's a lady who's outside her, I don't know, boyfriend, companion, whatever is inside. The guy takes the, the hunter, we'll call him, takes a shot at her. And the two women run into the convenience store section of the gas station. They're going to go out the back, but the back is blocked. They end up uh, blocking the front door while they try and work on busting off the lock on the back. The hunter eventually makes his way into the store he and the young man kind of grapple with each other. We cut to the girls outside, and then you hear a shot. The, I guess you'd call him like the young man or whatever, comes out. He kind of stumbles out. He has a stomach wound, and he falls to the ground. The hunter comes out, and they kind of resume the chase. And again, we see tons of, of people are coming around and filming everything that's going down. But the hunter doesn't really pay any attention to him. And these other people are acting like, oh, this is kind of kind of normal. Um, right, right. Almost reminded me of like kind of like a running man. Yeah, I was going to ask The old story, you, The Running Man. Yeah, about that. And there was another show that's, um, it kind of reminded me, I watched it when I was a kid, but I think it was, I wasn't old enough to really understand it. And it was a show called The Prisoner. Um, Mm. And it was this really, and I haven't watched it as an adult. I need to try and see if I can't find, I can probably find it on YouTube or something like that. But anyway, it was about this guy and he gets, I, somehow he ends up on this Island 
and he's a prisoner there and he's like, you know, prisoner number five. And it's a really weird, surreal situation that he's in. And then if he tries to escape ever, there's this weird, in the show, it was basically like this giant balloon type thing that would chase after him and would capture him and bring him back type stuff. And as a kid, I could never really wrap my head around kind of what was going on or anything like that. So, but yeah, the show does, um, what's going on here really reminds me a lot of Running Man where people are being chased down and hunted and it's sort of normal for the, we'll, we'll call them like the, the quote unquote audience to sort of, to watch that stuff. And that's what we're seeing here is the people are, this is kind of like a normal thing. So um, also another car pulls up and a woman who's wearing like a sheep mask and it looks, does she have like a shower curtain or a plastic tarp or something wrapped around her? Yeah, I didn't really, was never sure what, what that was. Yeah. yeah she I, has like a weird dog mask kind of thing on. Yeah. And then something like that. Yeah. She's wearing, yeah, it looks kind of like a shower curtain. Yeah. And then around her. Yeah, to, I guess to keep the blood and stuff off her. And she's got like an electric carving knife, like you would carve up in the old days when you would carve up the turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. And she's with a guy, and he has on, I guess, like a welder's mask, like, like a face shield type thing, and he's got a baseball bat. And then they start chasing, again, the, the woman's name is Victoria. The other woman who she's with, her name is Jim. J E M. I, and the only reason I know that's because I looked it up on IMDb to kind of get through the cast, the characters were and who they, and what their names were in the show. That way we can assign them names. It's easier to talk about them. So I think they run away from the new hunters and they end up in a house. And at this point it's where Jim is starting to talk to Victoria and she's telling him, Oh, you know, we got to kind of stay down because the onlookers sometimes will tell the hunters where we where we are. Um, so obviously, you know, Jim kind of knows more what's going on or this is kind of a, a normal thing. And so uh, Victoria is still at a disadvantage kind of with her amnesia, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Victoria tells her, oh, you know, I just woke up in this house. I'm not sure if it's mine. I don't know who I am. She shows her the picture of the little girl. and She said, I think this is my daughter. And Jim is like, are you, are you, you know, basically like, are you shitting me? You know, you really don't know what's going on. And then she kind of explains, well, and I wasn't clear how long ago it happened. And I don't know if she ever really tells her like, oh, six months ago or anything like that. No, yeah. it's She keeps it super vague. Yeah. So she basically tells her, oh, you know, a while back. The signal was being broadcast. It was and anything that can receive a signal. There's these symbols and the sound. And basically what it did is it changed everybody. And you sort of ended up in kind of three categories. And she said most people, like nine out of ten people, ended up as what they call like onlookers or observers, where you just want to watch everything and be a spectator. And then you either are a hunter or the hunted. And she says that what happened is over time is the people that became the hunters got more and more sadistic because there was nobody that was there uh, to stop them. So, and that's another thing. We never, ever see any police force. There's all the other sort of trappings of a town, but like I said, you never see like police or fire department or anything like that 
or ambulance service, nothing like that. So, you know, the question is, especially the first time I was watching it, I was like, well, you know, where are the cops? Has there been some type of like apocalyptic right. thing where society has kind of gone downhill? So when you were watching it the first time, did you have any theories kind of at this point as, as sort, sort of what yeah, was going yeah, on? Yeah, sort of. I, um, I kind of wondered if like there hadn't been some sort of governmental takeover, you know, where, where Britain had finally gone socialist fascist and then like did this campaign of brainwashing the public. So like, to me, the, the lack of police sort of fit in with that idea in that they didn't really need them because the, the signal had brainwashed, you know, nine out of 10 people. And then at like a half of half of a tenth of them became the hunters and the, the rest were the hunted. In my mind, I was thinking the hunted were by default because they weren't able to be brainwashed or somehow they just managed to escape being brainwashed. And that's why they were being hunted. Yeah, and I I had a similar thing, and I was thinking like, well, why? I could understand. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can get on board with them saying like, you know, nine out of ten are just going to become the sheep, and they're just going to, you know, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, just going to want the bread and circus. And then I was thinking, well, I kind of like you were thinking with the hunters. I'd thought, oh, I wonder if the signal brings out in this subset of the population brings out a lot of aggression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, heightens that kind of that uh, hunter-gatherer instinct that we have, you know, type thing. And that the other people, I thought, well, maybe it, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, they don't have, um, they don't, and I, I couldn't figure out whether it was like a thing of where the, it made them more like a prey animal type thing to where they just wanted to run. Or if it was a thing where they they became almost like docile in a different way than the people mm. who were the observers. And then I thought too, well, gotcha. why, you know, why don't the hunters, why don't they, do they ever like take one of the onlooker people or, or is it a thing to where somehow that's, that's just not it. But you know, again, a lot of times you can have a lot more questions than, than what the show is. And sometimes you just have to kind of, go with the flow a little bit, but it's interesting to, you know, to kind of think like that next extra couple levels type deal. So getting back to the narrative, Jim tells Victoria, Hey, there's these transmitters and there's, there's uh, a safe zone. And if we can get to this safe zone, the transmitters have been knocked out all around there. And if we go South of here, we'll be able to get there and we'll be all right. But what I want to do is there's a transmitter along the way and I want to go and knock it out. And I, I guess and she doesn't really give her any specifics for it, but she's basically saying it's at this place called white bear, which is the sort of the <laughs> first mention, which is the episode name. And I guess maybe that will knock out the signal maybe for this area that they're at. I don't, you know, I don't know. And then also the first time she says white bear, it kind of triggers another memory of uh, Victoria with her, uh, taking um, just home movies, just like typical home movies of the kid yelling or watching her play or something like that. So as they're getting ready to leave the house, a couple of onlookers have approached the house where they're at and they're filming her. 
And this kind of pisses off Victoria. So she goes out and she's confronting them and she's yelling at them. And of course, they're just looking at her and kind of laughing at her uh, and filming her. And she picks up a rock or a brick or something and chucks it at one of them and actually hits the guy. <laughs> and they, they, of course, they take off running and the guy drops his phone. So Victoria runs up and picks up his phone and she's like, oh, I'm going to try and, you know, see what they're looking at or see what they're doing. And Jim runs up to her with a stun gun. And says, don't, you know, put it down, just drop it, it's not good for you. And she's like, why? I just, I just, I want to try and find out. She's like, no, if you look at it, it's going to affect you. This is how they control you. And of course, she just looks at the phone anyway. And when she does, it's like her, her brain kind of glitches. And she ends up dropping the phone. She gets like a, I don't know, like a brain jolt or something. And at this point, the male and female hunter that we saw before, so the sheep mask and the welding mask people, they come running up and Jim and Victoria take off down the street and they go around the corner. And as they go around a corner, there's a dude in a van and we later find out his name is Baxter and he picks them up and he tells them, get in, get in, come on. Jim jumps in right away, but then you see Victoria, she's kind of hesitating you know, even though there are people that are chasing her, it's it's like she's getting like a gut feeling type thing of, you know, should I get in this thing? Should I not? You know, is this not a good idea? And it gets to the point to where Jim has to get out and actually physically drag her and put her in the van. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while they're driving down the road, you can tell that Victoria is starting to sort of slowly kind of put some things together things are sort of falling into place or did you think it was that or is it just her brain is starting to open up a little bit and things are being more familiar to her i think it's a little bit of both i think she she still has a severe paranoia about you know she doesn't see she still doesn't know exactly who she is but she's having these painful flashbacks and she is getting the sense that she knows these areas. And she even, when she gets into the truck, she even mentions to Baxter, she's like, hey, I know you. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he's like, well, I don't know you. And at this point, I don't think that Jim, Jim doesn't know Baxter either. So they're right. they're kind of have just met type thing. <clears throat> And I had kind of thought of, well, maybe she has some recognition of these people, again, first time watching, that, oh, maybe these are just people she's sort of seen around the town. Like if she lives here mm-hmm. and if it's, you know, if it's a town of, you know, 20, 30,000 people, yeah, you, you know, you, oh, I, I see this guy at the grocery store occasionally, or I see this guy getting gas type thing. Um, gotcha. So I thought maybe that I, was some of her she's familiar with them just because she sort of knows them. But then almost immediately they're like, uh, Jim is like, Oh, we're going to go down South to white bear and we're going to knock out the transmitter. And he's like, no, you're not going to go down there. Cause they've got it all. It's all blocked. Meaning I guess like the government or somebody, whoever's putting the signal, right. out, you know, has that area secured. And he says, I'm going to, I'll take you to a safe place. And then Victoria says, Oh, the safe place is the woods. And he's like, well, how do you know that? And she's like, well, we're going to drive there. We're going to get there. We're not going to be chased anymore. And then we're going to eat. 
And he's like, well, how do you know that? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, and then Baxter's like, what are you, Mystic Meg or something like that? Eventually, they get out to the woods, to the safe place in the woods. And then Baxter is like, well, how did you hurt your wrist? And he basically, he's implying that she tried to commit suicide, like she had cut her wrists or something like that. And then he goes on and says something like, there's he's he's saying basically there's a reason why you guys aren't affected like maybe some of the other people and it, maybe it's because you have some sort of mental illness or you have a, a mental weakness he's implying basically that you know she's she's pretty weak-willed and had tried to kill herself a couple of times which you sort of see you know maybe with the bandages on her wrist or you also see with all the pills that were at her feet when the when the thing mm-hmm. first opened mm-hmm. up um, right, I had missed. I had actually missed that. Yeah, and then um, uh, initially, Jim says to him, "Oh, really? What's your weakness then?" And he's like, "Well, I'm going to show you." And then he walks around to the back of the van, and then he comes out and he's got the shotgun and he put he puts the shotgun on the two women, and then he takes a ski mask out of his pocket and he throws it to Victoria and he's like, "Put this on backwards." And you see, it's the same mask that the guy, the original hunter guy was wearing. It's got that same symbol on it. And it, and if you, if you kind of look closer too, it's the same shotgun that he had before. And I think he's wearing the same shoes and everything too. So there, there was a, there was a, uh, a quick thing where she looked, she was, uh, Victoria was looking at Baxter's shoes and she was kind of like, huh, mm. she was kind of, it, it's, it sparked a little bit of recognition in her, but not enough to, to like saying like, oh, those were the same shoes, but it was like, oh, that's kind of something's familiar about this guy. Um, I I missed that particular detail. Yeah. So like I said, because I, for you, this is the first time watching it, I think. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's the second. So some of the stuff I'm like, okay, well, let's, I wanted to try and pay a little bit more attention and see if I could pick up on this stuff. Like I was talking about before, there were a few things that I picked up on uh, the second go around. Let's see. So he takes them down to a clearing out in the woods and it's a, I guess you'd call it almost like a torture park. There are trees and posts that are set up and there are people that are tied to it. There's nooses, there's like benches and logs that are set up, obviously to to like tie people to. And that's kind of serial killer playground. Yeah. And this kind of goes back into what Jim was saying before about, Oh, a lot of these hunters have basically, they just do whatever they want and nobody's going to stop them. And so they've gone, they've gone like completely sadistic. Um, so he's marching the women down there. He's going to tie them up. And then he gets a phone call. Baxter gets a phone call. And while he's talking, he gets distracted and Jim just, she rabbits. She just takes off running. And by the time he notices her taking off, she's she's kind of out of shotgun range, I think is what they're implying. Uh, and so he takes a shot at her, but then she takes off and he's like, oh, well. And he takes Victoria and ties her to a log and then he's threatening her with torture. He takes out a drill and he's like, oh, I'm going to you know, put this through your back and do all this other stuff. And then while he's doing that, Jim kind of sneaks back around, picks up the shotgun and puts it on him, and I think she shoots him. Yeah. She, yeah, she shoots him there. Yeah, that's right. She shoots him, uh, and then 
Victoria's like, oh, thanks for coming back for me. And she's like, I didn't come back for you. I came back for my bag because her bag has the stuff that she's going to use to knock out the transmitter. Because that's but Jim's get, whole thing. You get the sense that like through the whole thing that Jim is sort of full of it and that she really is trying to save and help out Victoria. Yeah. I did at least. Yeah. Like, on the- on the like, first, yeah, yeah. On the first, like watching. I read it, like she was trying to act tough. She talks tough, but really, she need. What I I thought was like, oh, she well, she doesn't want to be alone, you know. Therefore, she's really saving her, but she has to act tough. Yeah, because that she, was kind of how I read. Yeah, it. yeah, because she she does play once. It seems like she wants to play the part of I'm the I'm the freedom fighter. I'm the revolutionary. I'm the rebel. That type of thing. Right, um, and then you know what? Having said, having, you having said that, kind of popped into my head. I remember the first time that I watched it when her partner got shot at the at the uh, convenience store. She wasn't really too upset about it, and maybe it, I don't know. Maybe you could look at it in one way of things were happening too fast, and so it's like she'll have to deal with that later. She's got to compartmentalize it for now. But I remember right. the first time watching that thinking like, Oh, they didn't really have a scene where she was upset about this guy. And I thought, well, does she know how long does she know this guy? Did they just kind of hook up and are, right. you, know, you know, they're, they're the people that aren't onlookers and stuff. So, so anyway, uh, Jim has said she's come back for the bag. They leave those grounds and they go to get into Baxter's van. As they're getting ready to leave, we see the people, a bunch of onlookers, and then also the hunters from before, the lady with the sheep mask and the guy that she's with, um, the welding mask guy, are running. They, they're they just on foot. They're running up after them. And of course, they're in the van, so they get away. And as they're, as they're leaving, an onlooker who's on the side of the road takes a picture of Victoria, and it kind of flashes. And that flash triggers another flashback for her of she and her husband are in the car and she tells the little girl oh lay down lay down on the floor and she has her do that and then as they drive by they drive by a police car uh and then she kind of she also has another flash of of her being victoria of her own wrist being uh restrained or put locked shackled down on a chair mm-hmm. um and I thought that was, you know, kind of an odd, it, it, at that point I was kind of thinking, Hmm, you know, why would she have her kid lay down and hide from the police? You know, there's, is there, is there right. something more that's going on? Is there. For me, that fed into assumptions I was already making about what, what had happened, what had brought about this event. And I thought maybe that was part of like the the UK going full tilt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then like they're trying to uh it's like she they're trying her and her family are trying to get maybe to that safe zone or something. Like if something to that effect. Yeah, like maybe like like things are starting to go down, you know, kind of like mid 30s Germany esque, you know, and they're they yeah, for some reason they want to hide their daughter so they don't the cops don't see her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or so, something to that effect. It's, but it fed into assumptions I was already making. 
Yeah, because you could even look at it like, oh, maybe it's almost like a communist China type thing or, or deal where they, yeah. they're saying, okay, we're going to round up all the kids or like in North Korea. You know, we're going to take all the kids. They're going to go and basically live at this boarding school and be educated. Right. You know, they're, you're, yep. And at night, they'll, you know, maybe on the weekends or something, they'll come back with you or something like that. But, uh, you know, the state's going to kind of take over. Yeah, that's a good point. That actually, yeah, that would actually make more sense. Um, so anyway, they're, they are still in the van, they're headed out and a, a good amount of time has passed because now it's getting to be uh, nighttime. So it's getting to be dark. They are pulling up to the transmitter station out in white bear and Victoria is telling Jim, Hey, there's something is wrong here. I'm getting a feeling that something's not good. We should turn around. And of course, Jim is like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go, you know, shut this thing down and basically just kind of drags Victoria along with her. So they go into the transmitter station. They kind of break in. Hey, <laughs> one thing that I thought was funny is she's got those giant bolt cutters. Did you notice this the first time? And they're going to go up to the main building. And instead mm-hmm. of using the bolt cutters to, so they've already got through the fence. And instead of using the bolt cutters on this, on this padlock, to actually cut them off, which is what you would use it for. She just takes it and smashes the lock. <laughs> she smashes the padlock off. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. Why didn't you just like cut them off? But anyway, so they go into the transmitter station and Jim starts going, shutting stuff down. And you see the symbol is all over the place. Victoria is basically kind of just in shell shock here a little bit. And Jim starts pulling gasoline on the floor she's going to burn the transmitter down at this point those same two hunters the uh, sheep mask and the welder show up the uh, the the female gets in a kind of in a, a struggle with jim and we see that the guy in the welding mask has the shotgun with him so he he probably picked up the shotgun off the ground when they left the uh the woods area so they get into uh, the the two women are fighting the welder kind of has the gun on uh, Victoria, but then he kind of gets distracted and watching the two women fight. And then Victoria makes a grab for the gun. She turns the gun on the guy. She doesn't hesitate. Bang. She pulls a trigger and just confetti shoots out of the, out of the, out of the barrel of the gun. So this would probably be actually a really good, part to stop at or a good point to stop at if you don't want to get the twist ending so if you don't want to get the twist ending wait go watch it yeah go watch (laughs) it come back and then rejoin us i will if i remember to do it the last couple of times i haven't remembered to do it but if i remember to do it i'll put in some music and then when you hear the music you'll know that that's the end of this that our discussion and that, that from there on will be spoilers so without jumping into any spoilers and kind of with us stopping here, like I had said earlier, overall, I really liked the episode. I would recommend it. I thought it was one of the stronger ones. It had a couple little flaws, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about those more, but I would definitely recommend this for viewing. Uh, what about for you? What was your kind of thoughts on it? Again, with not with not jumping in yeah without without really giving sp- any spoilers uh i would say i i ended up really liking the episode one of the one of the things that really was surprising to me is that 
you know, if you've watched like through the first season, you realize that there are twists. Yeah, yeah. To every episode, and so I was kind of, you know, even though I haven't really watched an episode in quite a while, I was a little bit surprised that the that the episode really took me for a ride. Like I did not see the ending coming. Yeah, um, neither. And when I first watched it, neither did I. I did not think I was like, what. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and 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 we'll we'll talk a little bit later in the kind of in the spoiler section of one of the reasons I think why that why it happens and was so effective at doing that. Um, mm-hmm. So again, both Ken and I recommend this. Uh, we both recommend just the series Black Mirror, um, and again, a lot of the stuff if you're if you've never seen any of them or if this may be your first time listening to this episode. A lot of the stuff too with Black Mirror, like Ken was saying, there is the twist endings, but it also has to do with technology. How does technology affect society? That type of thing. So, right. all right, yeah. I'm, what's what's the dark side of yeah technology? Yeah. Um, so what we'll do is I'll go ahead and drop in the music here. And so again, at the end of the when you hear the music end, we are going to start doing spoiler stuff. So. If you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and sign off now. All right, and we are back. And now we are going to jump into spoiler territory. So when we left off, Victoria had taken the shotgun and had fired it at the welder hunter and just confetti came out. And she is is just kind of like, you know, uh, what do they call it? Like God smacked or something like that. Yeah, she is, flabber, flabbergasted. Yeah, <laughs> she is. It's like her brain is just short circuiting. She kind of just freezes. She just stands there. And then you'll notice too, immediately the hunters and Jim, they just stop what they're doing. They get up. In fact, the female hunter helps Jim up, if I remember correctly. And the back wall where a bunch of transmitter equipment is, all of a sudden that just splits open. And you see a bunch of lights and you see a bunch of people out behind her. And they take her and she's still kind of stunned. They take the shotgun away from her. They take her, they set her down, they put her in a chair and they shackle her wrists and her feet to this chair. And yeah, and she's so flabbergasted, she just kind of lets it all happen. Yeah, I mean, she's got it, it, it's she's she's just stunned. She can't she just cannot process it. So what happens is is then you see, oh, there's this there's a big studio audience. There's all these lights. She's actually up on a stage and the people, Jim, the two hunters are there, then they're taken about. And then we also see the guy who was with Jim earlier, the guy who got supposedly shot and killed. He comes out with them and they're all taking bows and the audience is like cheering and clapping. They, I think they kind of take a step back under the back of the stage a little bit. And then Baxter comes out and everybody goes wild for him. And he's got like a little headset on and everything. And he starts talking and it turns out that she is part of at first you think, Oh, is this some type of television show or, or what, you know, what is going on? There are three big screens. He 
flips her and turns her around. So, so her back is to the audience and she's looking at the screens and you see a picture of her and he's like, oh, well, it's time to, you know, let you know who you are. And uh, he says, in case you haven't uh, guessed it, you guys aren't very popular around here. He said, but you guys are famous. And then they show a picture of her fiance. And he said, this is your fiance. Or he says, or he was, meaning that this guy is dead. And then what they do is they pop up, a, um, they show on the screen a, a news report. And what I did is I kind of wrote that down because I thought this is, it sort of tells you everything. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. So the news report starts out and it says, the trial of Victoria Scalane finally concluded today, the verdict guilty, together with her fiance, Ian Ronick, whose death in custody had delayed the trial. Scalane abducted six-year-old Jemima Sykes just miles from her home, prompting a nationwide search amidst emotional pleas from her parents. For months, the youngster's disappearance had been a mystery, the sole clue being her distinctive white teddy bear discovered in a lay-by two miles from the family home. The white bear became an enduring symbol in the hunt for Jemima, a hunt that ended in a local forest. Jemima's body was found there. It had been wrapped in a sleeping bag and burned. The couple were caught after harrowing footage of Jemima's torture and murder was discovered on a mobile phone in Scalane's possession. Ian Rannick, identified by his distinctive tattoo, killed the youngster as Victoria Scalane held the camera. And I'll take a little bit of an aside here. So the symbol that we've been seeing all throughout everything in the show is actually on the back of his neck. He's got that same that same tattoo. Let's see. Ian Rannick, identified by his distinctive tattoo, killed the youngster as Victoria Scalane held the camera. Breaking down in tears, Scalane admitted to filming Jemima's final moments, claiming her fiancé had pressured her into helping him, maintaining that she was under his spell. The jury was not convinced by Scalane's story, and neither was the judge who labeled her a uniquely wicked and poisonous individual. You were an enthusiastic spectator to Jemima's suffering. You actively reveled in her anguish, he said, adding her punishment would be proportionate and considered. By hanging himself in his cell, many believe Ian Rannick evaded justice. The public mood is now focused on ensuring his accomplice can't do the same. So um, that, again... I remember the very first time I saw it, I kind of rewound it and watched that news footage again to make sure I was like sort of hearing what I was hearing. And even then, I didn't pick up on a couple of the things there. The The main thing being that, you know, this kid that you think that was the, her daughter, of course, they kidnapped her. Um, mm-hmm. And the very first time I thought, oh, maybe they just had her for a, like a few weeks. But. This time I was like, oh, no, they had her for months. You know, they had her for a long, long time. And it had really kind of um, like there are certain cases that for whatever reason spark the public interest. And this is what we're supposed to believe is in, in this case is a case like that, that this is one that everybody in the country was behind and. um that also that when the details of the case came out and they didn't, I don't know. I thought maybe they could have done a little more with that, with 
illustrating the brutality of the crime because you you mm-hmm. kind of they kind of just you know run sort over of lays over yeah it, right? it goes over it pretty quick and I thought oh they really should have gone into at this point maybe details of you know this is how long you had this kid and this is what you did to her and blah 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 because I think they kind of implied maybe that the that the boyfriend had probably molested her see I I. But I, you know, I don't know. I didn't make, I didn't jump to the fact that they had had her for months. I thought that they had just had her for a little bit, killed her, but they didn't find her body till months later. I'll have to watch it again and see if I pick that up, that they had had her for months. Yeah, that's, and that's something that, that the very first time that I wasn't sure on. And this time, and I don't know, maybe I'm just sort of reading into it. But yeah, they don't, and that's another thing. They don't give you specific details of how long they had her before they killed her. So, and I, like I said, the first time I was like how you were thinking, like, oh, they had her for a few weeks and then killed her. And then the second time I thought, oh no, they had had this kid for a long time because in the, some of the home videos, and the reason I thought that was because in some of the the flashback home videos, the girl, the little girl has, is actually becoming comfortable with him. Mm, yeah, that and, makes and, sense. And she's doing what she's telling him to do. So I, and, you know, but, who, but you know, again, they don't really give us the details on that. So you could go sort of one way or the other. And of course, at this point, and it's an interesting thing, even, even, you know, kind of what this person did, you still feel I think the show does a good job of you still kind of feel some empathy for Victoria because at this point we know that she doesn't really have any memory of this stuff and that a lot of this is new. And, and this was another, this is a question I had for you too. So when they reveal all this stuff to her, I think that a lot of it is coming back. It's like when they, when they, right when they sort of erase her memory and we, and we'll, we'll see later how they do that. But when they kind of erase her memory, I think it only maybe lasts for like a 24 hour period or something like that. It doesn't. And so that by the time she is brought into the studio audience, all the stuff that she's done is coming back to her. I don't know. I still think, you know, and it's impossible to tell everybody's probably going to have a different opinion when you watch it, but uh, I still feel like she is in disbelief that one, this is all happening. Two, that she was this person that helped murder a little girl. I think there's still some disbelief, and she thinks she feels like she's in a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, the um, the actress does a really good job of portraying that stuff. I mean, you really see a lot of the anguish and confusion and fear on her face. So. Um especially the second time watching it, I, you know, you really believe her, you know, so I thought she Mm -hmm. did a really good job. The other thing that I was kind of like, at this point when we're still watching her, you know, on the stage and, you know, and, and a lot of the, the, you get this sense that, you know, Baxter is really the master of ceremonies of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, I was like in shock about how 
of course, you know, this is a punishment for a horrible person who did a horrible thing. But I was actually shocked of like how how sadistic Baxter was, like or how you know I I read him as being an incredibly sadistic person, you know, just having been lucky enough to get this job where he could act that out, you know, and mm, yeah. being a service to society. <laughs> And, and I kind of looked at the audience that way too, and that they're really relishing watching this this whole thing play out. Yeah. Now, I see your point on that. Um, I took him more to be like he is a he is a true believer, and he believes yeah. that what they're doing is just, and he believes that this punishment is what this person deserves and that they don't, you know, that they don't deserve any, any sympathy. And you get a little bit of that from when he's, when he, uh, Victoria's crying and he comes up to her and he's basically says something kind of a paraphrase, but basically says like, you know, no more crocodile tears for you. Right. Right. Um, you weren't crying, you know, when you were filming her being, you know, tortured and murdered. So, and then basically, right. and, uh, and of course, you know, she's just kind of has, has, uh, broken down completely. Victoria has, and then he's like, get her out of here. And these guys come up and they put I, her on that little, they, they leave her strapped to the chair and they put her on a, right. they get these poles and they go and they put her in a van. A Pope mobile. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> and it's, and of course it's nighttime outside. And he is out there being like master of ceremonies and he's like, you know, uh, make sure to make noise. And, um, you know, does he call her an animal or a bitch or something? I, he calls her something. I can't remember. Yeah, he, he does. You at one point, I he might even say both, but I do remember specifically him calling her an animal. Yeah. I, so anyway, they, they, um, they end up and they take her and as, as she's going back, so like Ken was saying, she's in a Pope mobile and they've got it, uh, on the inside it's, uh, has light. So you can, the people can see her and she can sort of see like their outlines and then they're throwing stuff at her. And actually at the very first time I thought it was like fruit or like, you know, oh, rotten yeah. tomatoes and stuff, but actually, yeah, I thought so too. There is, it's, it's a real quick thing you see as the van is driving by there's a thing and it says sponges, $2 or two pounds, you know, type thing. So what they have is they have like uh, sponges that are soaked in probably like watered down water-based paint and red paint. And they throw these sponges at the van. They, the people can buy these sponges and then they can throw them at the van as she's going by. And of course they're yelling at her and, and all the people are calling her names and murderer and, you know, like burning hell and all this other stuff. So they, um, they get back to the house, they take her up upstairs and they put her in the room that where we first met her and they stage everything to look like it did when she first wakes up. He turns on the TV. He, he puts on a video. He sprinkles some pills down by her feet. He takes and puts on, uh, like a little device that goes over her head. And then he says something like, oh, this takes about 30 minutes. And while you're waiting for this thing to basically, you know, short circuit your memory, 
will give you a little in-flight movie and he's showing her pictures of the video that she shot. So again, with that, I don't know. Now they don't show you the audience this. They just show like the, the pleasant movies of the little girl waving. I don't know if they eventually show her the murder, if that stuff goes in. And then one thing, did you notice too, when she, she, she begs him Baxter to kill her, she's like, Oh, just kill me. Yeah. And then he goes, that's what you always say. And he's kind of like, you know, he's just like, eh, whatever. You know, and he, and he kind of laughs about it. Like you were saying about right. that sadistic part, you know, so he, I mean, he, he is, he, he is, is a, a pretty sadistic guy and he's getting some, uh, some he gets pleasure personal and stuff. satisfaction. Yeah. Out. yeah. Or he, and I mean, I'm sure anybody that does get to bring justice <laughs> to a situation does get some personal satisfaction in it, but he goes kind of above and you can see he, he gleefully enjoys his job. Yeah. I thought what would have been nice or what would have been an interesting thing is if you would have found out that like, uh, Jemima was his niece or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's how he got the job. Yeah. That might, la- that might land a little bit more humanity to him. Yeah. But you know, I mean, still though, it, it's part of the point of which we'll talk about here in a little bit, but part of the point is, you know, punishment and does it fit the crime and that type of stuff. But at this point we, uh, he, he puts the thing on her and it. And once it kind of kicks in, it really jolts her and it's basically, yeah, it's, it's torturing her. Um, right. And then he walks out. There's a guy who's left outside to sort of guard the room, probably to make sure that she doesn't get out or anything like that. It kind of reminds me of the old electroshock treatment. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of that same type of thing. And then that's why you can tell why her wrists are so banged up because they've got her strapped into that chair. And when she's, I'm sure as she's flailing around, she's damaging her wrists. And so that's why they probably got her bandaged up and everything, you know, cause they don't want her to tear her wrist and then bleed out or anything like that. But so we cut to the other guys that are downstairs. There's like three other guys that are downstairs. Baxter goes down to join them and we see that they are tidying up the house. They're putting everything just so they're cleaning the glass or putting it just so on the counter. Another guy comes up and he's got a fresh new picture of uh, Jemima and he puts it back in the frame And then Baxter walks over to the calendar and he gets a pen out and and crosses off the 18th. So when she wakes up, it's going to be the 19th. Uh, And then they go out, the screen fades to black. And then when it pops back up, we're actually getting a bigger reveal of what white bear actually is. So white bear is a, they, they called it what white bear justice park. Yes. Um, and then people can come in and they charge people to come in and to be participants in this thing. And yeah. Like it's, uh, it's an amusement park. For yeah. It's, it's the visitors. Yeah. And so we see that, you know, there's signs of where it's like, you know, oh, make sure you park your car, then come in right away. And we see that Baxter is, explaining the rules of the park and he's saying right you know number one don't talk don't talk uh, really amongst yourselves don't talk to her um 
unless it is 100% absolutely necessary, no speaking at all. And then he said, we want her to think that you guys are all mesmerized. And then the, the crowd in the little briefing room kind of chuckles. And he's like, I know, I know, but it's worked up until now. And then he says, and then the lady who plays Jim says, make sure to keep your distance. And then she references the fact that that guy got hit with a brick or the rock. Right. And then she's like, oh, don't worry if it happens. You know, all of us, all basically all the actors, we all have stun guns and we'll stop her. But she says, if that happens, then that's it. The day's over and we have to reset. Uh, and then, of course, you know, what I thought was funny was the number one, the, the last rule and the most important rule. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It, it's so it's really funny because, you know, in. In the previous scenes, I was talking about Baxter and how I saw him as, you know, almost this like semi evil guy. Yeah. You know, you see it in those in those little cut scenes in the while you're watching the credits. You see a different side of him that's kind of like this little playful guy who is interacting with the people who are going to be visiting the park. And yeah, yeah, he's very charming. Like this different side of like all, like I think it's, I think it's Baxter, Jim, and her, and the guy that could be her boyfriend, you know, actor, yeah, boyfriend, yeah, and they just seem like oh, you know, like we're we're your national park guides, <laughs> you know, you yeah. can see wildlife, right? Yeah, well, they're they're kind of like um, they're almost like that, the combination of that and like the guys you see at that uh, Tombstone Town Park. Yeah, you know, where yeah. you've got the actors that play a part and everything. And then what it does, it does an interesting thing where you get sort of a almost like a day in the life episode. It's done very quickly where you see she right. wakes up and then it cuts to other people watching on their phone because they've got, of course, everything is wired up. They've got everything. There's cameras everywhere. Of course, Victoria doesn't know and she can't see them. They're all hidden. But right. all the people right. that are there are that are what we call them um, viewers or like you yeah. know, onlookers, I guess. Is, yeah. Yeah. They have on their phones. You can like we can today. Like if someone comes to your door or something and you're at, not at home, you can, if you've got one of those doorbells, you can oh, pull it up yeah. on your phone yep. and you can see. So some people, yep. if they want, they can just sort of watch everything on their phone or if they're at a different place in the park. Um, and then that's, that's another thing. This place is, they've got a place set up in the country. They've gone and they've either, built a town or they've, they've, you know, taken over maybe an old town that was abandoned or something like that. Um, so everything is enclosed. And then we see her, you know, she leaves the house, she's running down the street, the hunters are chasing her. Um, she ends up at the park again. Um, you see them when they're going to go to where that, that torture ground is, you see them, you know, they've, they've got the actors are walking out and of course they're in coats and everything. And then they're like, okay, get ready. Five minutes. She's going to be here. And so the people then, you know, crawl up on the crosses and stuff that they were supposed to be tied to. Uh, we see us the, the part where Baxter and the guy that he had shot in the, in the convenience store, like, you know, they pop up and they're like, Oh, hi. And they're high fiving each other. And, and the, the, uh, onlookers are like, Oh, you guys did really great. And this, that, and the other thing, you know? And so you really get like, a um, the sense of, oh, this is just sort of like a play for them. It's like a production. 
but that they, I do think that they are all kind of true believers, especially the, the first time when we get the reveal of Victoria on the stage. If you look at how Jim looks at her, she's just looking at her with just hatred. She's just mm-hmm. like, you know, you are just, you know, just uh, scum. And then what we see too is that this is something that just happens over and over and over and over again. And we know from the calendar that at a minimum it's happened that we've seen or that we would be aware of at least 19 times. Now we don't know if this has been going on for a number of months or if this is just the first time with the, with how smooth for lack of a better phrase, how smooth the operation goes. I would say that they've been doing this more than 19 times. I'd agree that this has been going on for a long time. This is like, this is a well-oiled machine. Yeah. And then, so, and that's pretty much how it ends. And and you kind of understand, oh, this is going to happen. And then you're left with some questions, or at least I was, you know, one of the, some of the questions I had was, well, you know, how long has this been going on? And then how much longer will it continue? Is there like a set time? Um, and when I first watched it, I had thought, oh, and I was, mis- and again, I was mistaken on the timeline and, I, and we still may be mistaken on the timeline of how long the little girl was, had been away from her parents, like before she was killed. And so I thought, oh, they, the very first time I watched it, I thought, oh, they had her for a month. They like, they had the little girl for a month before they killed her. And so what they're going to do is they're doing sort of like an eye for an eye type thing. And they mm-hmm. are, they're going to make Victoria sort of experience confusion, loss, terror, not knowing what's going on, having really nobody there that she can trust, that type of thing. And that she's going to relive the terror that this little girl did. And at first I thought, oh, she, it was for 30 days. And so they're going to make her go 30 days and then they're going to kill her. And, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe is. So, well, before I go on with that, what, like, what did you think as far as what's their, what is their plan for this, for this Victoria lady based on kind of what you saw? I, my impression was that it was just going to go on and on and on, hmm. you know, until I don't know something, you know, either her health failed or, or something else. One of the things that like after watching the episode and like thinking about it is, like I started like really dissecting it thinking, well, they can't really do this every day. Like if they want to keep it really going, they would have to give her breaks somehow. Well, yeah, like, that was, cause, yeah. Cause you never, she never gets to eat throughout the whole day. Well, remember you really only ever get to see her drink water like in the beginning of the episode yeah she gets she has one glass of water and i think she gets when they're at the woods the very first time she eats like half a sandwich right so i'm thinking like you know this isn't a sustainable um event like they can't like if they're doing it every day she would be dead pretty quick yeah and that's another thing that i was thinking i was like because one one of the questions i had written down was like okay well how many days in a row before they have to take a break? Because she has to eat. Her body right, has yeah. to recover. Um, and right. probably her mind has to recover somewhat. 
Well, and, you know, part of the whole thing, too, and, like, I'm probably just way overthinking all of this because we're, we're talking about fiction here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if she were to lose too much weight and look in the mirror, even though she doesn't know who she is, I think there would be a biological thing of, like, when she looks in the mirror, she would recognize the fact that she was underweight. Yeah, because she's still something more had happened. Yeah, because she's still, um, she's still sort of she she knows how to speak English. She knows, you know, kind of how society sort of should work. Um, Right. So I think, and again, it does bring up questions of how much of her memory has been zapped, like because she obviously she doesn't remember the trial. She doesn't remember kidnapping the uh, little Jemima. She doesn't remember any of that stuff um and then but she does remember baxter and then she does remember that something is definitely wrong with white bear yeah well she gets like a um like a deja vu with them because of the trauma of it right and and, right and uh um And, and you might be right about you know through the period of the day like the eventually the mind eraser kind of thing starts wearing off yeah could be. Well, I think it, it almost would have to because, well, I don't know, maybe not. Um, maybe they're just, also, maybe they're just erasing when they do the mind eraser stuff. Um, maybe it just makes it to where she can't remember. Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm basically in a, in a, a simulation for lack of a better right. term. Right. My, my other question is like, I wonder, and again, we're, we're going off the rails kind of, but I wonder how, many times they can do that use that mind eraser without it doing permanent damage yeah yeah and that's what i that's what i had kind of wondered too and then i'd also wondered now i think that she was probably because they call the it's white bear justice park Mm -hmm. um i had thought oh had they done this to other prisoners and maybe they have but i think she was the first one so maybe they have it's not just it's not just her, but maybe but they White have Bear other prisoners. Was specifically, um, you know, like that was an important term to the search for Jemima. Yeah, but so it seems that this is this whole thing is dedicated to her. Well, what I'm saying to, is that it started. It probably started that way. But then, I, what I wondered too is, so let's say they have to give her a month or something to recover. Right. And then right. do they take other prisoners and set them up with the same type of thing? So let's say that, uh, you know, they killed, you know, somebody else killed someone. You know, if we're, if we're going to be uh, Arizona centric, we would say like, you know, in Sedona. And so they would right. have, you know, right. Sedona five would be the transmitter that they're going to go get or, you know, however they're going to rig the scenario, that type of thing. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe the, Maybe they are bringing in other prisoners to t- kind of pull similar things with. Because they, because you know that's an and and uh, I know we're going off the rails, but of course that's that's part of the fun of talking about the shows is, <laughs> is going off the rails and and doing um, different scenarios or what if type things. But with them charging money, you wonder like how much how much of a business is this? It seems like it's it's business is booming. Oh yeah, they've got people coming in. And, you know, let's say that they've, maybe they've only been doing it for a couple of months. 
eventually you would think, like everything with humans, the novelty of it will kind of wear off. Um, right, and right. You had sort of mentioned it a little earlier, but how there's, like, everybody seems to be into it. And you would think that there would be some, and again, this is off the rail stuff, but eventually you think there would be protests about it. Yeah, there were, you would think that there would be some societal backlash on the, the sadistic nature of this brand of justice. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like, um, well, you watched Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Okay, so in the, in the first season of Game of Thrones, there is the scene where one of the main characters, Ned Stark, is, has, uh, there's been a deserter, and he's going to, oh, he's yeah. ordered the guy that, to be executed. That's the very first episode. Yeah, that's, that's the very first scene. That's one of actually, the very first yeah. scenes. And he tells one of his sons, he's like, look, if I, he goes, he goes, it, it was basically me that gave the order that this guy is going to be executed. So it's going to be me that's going to execute him. Meaning, number one, he's going to take sort of responsibility for it. But also, uh, another sort of subtext of that was, we're not the the Ned Stark wasn't the type of guy who was going to like torture you or keep you alive or dole, you know uh, draw out your punishment. He was just gonna okay the sentence is death. Boom, we're gonna take it and take care of it right now. So that leads to questions of does does her punishment fit the crime? Like if you said oh we're gonna make her go through this, uh, let's say Jemima was away from her parents for. 20 days before they Mm -hmm. killed her. And Mm -hmm. what we're going to do is it will be a 20 day sentence. She's going to relive the, the fear that this person did. And then we're going to, then that's it. Then we're going to execute her. Um, but you know, I, like you were saying, I think it's just going to go maybe on and on and on. I'd also had thoughts of, well, maybe they're going to do a thing where eventually what they will do when they execute her is they will, like torture her, put her in a sleeping bag and then burn her alive. You know, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if, yeah, if they're, if they're go, willing to go to the, the lengths that they already have to set up this whole justice park, I don't think it's too much of a leap to think that they would, would do it like that literal eye for an eye. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was very interesting. It gave you kind of a lot of, you know, it's supposed to give you a lot of food for thought. Now I did read one thing and I'd mentioned at the top of the show, we were talking about how it seemed like it was much more like a running man type thing. Like, uh, uh, you know, here's person a, they're being hunted. Will they get to safety type thing? And a little kind of blurb that I read about this particular episode was that originally it was written in that it was a pure kind of survival type thing so that you had Victoria wasn't necessarily a criminal, but wakes up, doesn't really know what's going on and then has to try and fight her way to maybe a safe zone type thing. And Mm -hmm. part of the show was going to be of, uh, or part of the um, critique of, of, of technology of, you know, we're so used to watching everything on our phones that it kind of detaches us. And as long as we're filming something, we can be kind of detached from it. And, you know, we see that, uh, you know, like with that world star and all this other stuff, when people get in fights, people don't really help anybody. They just film it. Uh, right. and, and how some people think too, that 
uh, and this wasn't in the thing that I read, but this is just kind of me go, kind of going off on my own tangent here a little bit. But a lot of times people, when they are filming stuff, they actually think they're helping you. And it's like, oh, I'm going to film this really? guy kicking your teeth in. And, 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 um, well, if, if you think about it, when you look at a lot of the stuff, people are like, Hey, you know, don't beat him up. I'm filming you. Oh, and there'll yeah, be like true. 10 people yeah, that are doing sure. that. And it's like, well, why don't you 10 people put down your phones and then pull the guy off of them, of, of uh-huh. the guy who's beating the other dude with a shovel. That also kind of goes along with, I think, um, there's a general kind of thing of, uh, non-interventionalists kind of pacifist thing in America too. Like that, that's somehow the right thing to do. Don't get directly involved, but try to help. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I can see that a little. And it, it, it wasn't that way as much when, when probably we were kids. Right. Um, right. It was definitely like, especially if you saw a male smack a female you were expected, especially as a, as a man, you know, you step in, you step in and yeah. you say, Hey, 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 you know, you don't, that's not something that you do. And nowadays they're just like, Oh shit, son, look at that. So, uh, let's see, what else did I have? Oh, so anyway, yeah, we talked about like, uh, punishment, fitting the crime, that type of thing. Um, oh, oh it is funny. You oh, brought up game of Thrones. Yeah. Because the whole, when they put her in a Pope mobile and drive her all the way back to like her fake home yeah, where she wakes up, it reminded me of Cersei's walk of shame. Back oh to the yeah. Red yeah. Key. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I was shocked. I didn't hear somebody going saying shame. Yeah. Shame. shame. <laughs> I wondered if when they take her back to that, like that fake house, I wonder if that's like a replica of her house. I would imagine it is. So, you know, they made it to where when she wakes up, she thinks that that's, that that's it and everything. So, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think, um, oh, getting back to what I was, was going to say, kind of finish up with the thing about when they were, were um, decided to change the ending from just a pure survival thing. I think the guy who came on to, to direct or maybe an, a writer or something, they brought it on and said, well, hey, why don't we do this instead? All this other stuff can remain the same, but at the very end, we'll mm-hmm. kind of we'll kind of flip the script literally on right. on what's going on here. So, uh, but overall, really good. Uh, I thought of season two. Oh, there were others that were in season two that are really good, but this one I thought had a uh, was more thought provoking. Um, and it, you know, it brings up stuff about, you can extrapolate a little bit to kind of how we have, you know, private prisons, prisons are for profit, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, mm-hmm. is a, is a for-profit prison really that much different than from what these guys are doing? And, and granted it's, it's a, an extrapolation and it, it pulls, you know, kind of to pull the curtain back, you know, you go kind of extreme. But yeah, so, it gets you to think about a whole lot of different aspects of justice and punishment and society at large, and then the use of technology in all of those areas. Yeah. You know, an interesting point that popped into my head when you were saying about like that there, like in America, there's sort of this, uh, little bit of a pass passivity. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one thing that I've noticed, and especially in some of the British TV, I watch a lot of like foreign programs and a lot of British stuff and a lot, but because of the way that their laws are set up over there now, stuff that you would watch from the eighties and nineties are so much different than stuff that you would watch from today. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know, if you fight back, a lot of times you can get into trouble and it didn't used to be that way in Britain. In fact, Britain used to be, especially when I was in college, I had a buddy that was, that was from over there and he had, you know, he had come over here and was, was, was going to school over here, but he was talking about that basically. And he called it a punch up. He said that a lot of times you'd get into a fight in a, in a bar or something like that. You'd have a punch up with somebody and then that would sort of be it. Uh, and that was kind of a part of the culture there. But now, like, if I contrast that with what we're sort of seeing now, it's like, oh, if you get in a fight in a bar or if you walk into an event and you've got an umbrella, they're going to take your umbrella away from you because you might use it as a weapon. Right. Type thing. So it's 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 really flipped over there to such an extreme. And I wonder if it will ever flip back if if the idea of being able to <clears> – <throat> defend yourself or that culture of yeah a couple of guys can kind of have a you know a fight in a bar and as long as it doesn't go too far yeah you, you know you sort of leave it alone you know if, if in the united states there are certain uh, states and cities where you can they have what do they call that mutual combat law or something like that oh. where if, right i don't know who where that is or i think it, i, I think Washington used to have it. I don't know if they still do, but I, I think it was maybe Washington or Oregon. Sid would know, but um, they used to have a law to where you could have a cop. In fact, I've 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 seen like oh, on cop shows yeah. there could be a cop standing right in front of you, and if you say to the cop, "Hey, we're gonna en- we're en- gonna engage in mutual combat," or something like that, and then you know the cop is you know wouldn't let the person kill you type thing. Or right. do great bodily harm, but you guys can, you know, you know, throw some hands and stuff, and then, and then that's it. That you know, that type of thing. But he, there, there would be no crime at that point. There would be no assault because you both agreed to do it. Uh, but it's interesting when you watch when you watch shows from England now. Nobody has a gun, or if they do, right, right. they're they they are government or criminal, or Right. They are a farmer who has maybe like a like a uh, double barrel or a single shot shotgun. Well, I thought that that was really interesting in this episode that the choice of the only weapon that really appears in the episode or I should say because I'm I'm excluding the bread cutting knife. (laughs) Yeah. And the baseball. (laughs) But those aren't. Yeah. is that double, you know, like that side by side English shotgun? Yeah, you know, like that's the only weapon that appears in the episode. Um, and I thought, oh, like how how modern British, you know, like <laughs> yeah, like that's the only thing that they're that even the authorities are allowed to bring into this situation to represent a weapon. Yeah, yeah, because you would think, oh, well, why wouldn't they have? Why wouldn't the other hunters have something too? Especially if society had crumbled, then they could maybe have raided a police department or something. But you know, right? Why wouldn't they have? Yeah, like an like an, an MP5 yeah. or <laughs> yeah, something crazy like that. Yeah. 
So, and then what, what's interesting too is if you watch other other European shows, depending on the country, the attitude towards fighting, the attitude of the the main characters, like whether they have experience with with firearms or whether they have um, a lot of times in the English shows, and I'm not just picking on English thing, but a lot of times the characters are, especially the male characters, are pretty weak. Right. You know, they're they're almost they have more like feminine qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, we were watching a show. Well, I want to go too on, on a tangent on that. I think what we'll do is we will go ahead and wrap this thing up now because Ken and I will just ramble on for a long time on all sorts of different stuff. Um, we will go ahead and wrap this up. I do not know uh, when we'll get the chance to do another one, hopefully relatively soon. Uh, it just depends on when our schedules can get kind of meshed up. The good thing is uh, Ken has moved out sort of to my area. Like I said, I'm out in Arizona, and so Ken's out in Arizona with me now, so it's going to be a little bit easier to do some stuff. Uh, in fact, if you go over to my YouTube channel, you'll see a, a quick video of Ken and I at the range and you can check that out. Hopefully we'll be able to, uh, go to the range a little bit more often and do some stuff. Uh, he and I have some plans to do some of the, um, two gun action match. If we can get, get all our equipment that we need for it and everything. But once everything kind of gets settled down, we'll be able to do some of that, maybe get some filming of, of that type of stuff. So, uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, Hopefully, like I said, we'll be able to do some more Black Mirror stuff. There is a there is a movie that I would I think you'll really like, and if some of you guys would want to watch it and then be able to send in some stuff, uh, and I'll make an announcement maybe on Facebook or or uh, through the next show when we're going to do this movie. But it's called Shot Caller, and Shot Caller we had talked about Game of Thrones earlier stars uh, Jamie Lannister. I forget his name is Nicholas. Oh yeah, Waldo. Uh, I don't. I can't remember his last his his full name. Um, yeah, the the Dutch actor. He is. I'll give a, a a little preview of it, but basically, he is a guy who is like a stockbroker. There is an accident, and he ends up going to prison, uh, kind of like on a manslaughter type thing. And instead of sending him to like a club fed or a a minimum security place, they end up making an example out of him and they send him to like a for real, for reals prison. And then because he's white, he ends up in order to survive. He ends up hooking up with basically the white supremacy gang in there. And then it's sort of kind of the evolution of him and what he does. Um, but I think you'd really enjoy that movie. It, in some ways you can kind of predict certain parts of it, but the way that they go about telling the story, they don't do it in a typical manner. So you mm. think, Oh, you know, they're going to have this scene of where this happens and then this happens. And that really turns them, but he really, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, they don't do any of that. And they, they tell the story in a way to where you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well that makes sense. This is, this is what he's doing and this is why he's doing it, that type of stuff. But I think you would really enjoy it. Um, there was also a movie and I think it was called, I don't know if, if you and I have talked about it before where it's called snitch, uh, which stars the rock, which stars Dwayne Johnson. Hmm. And that's the, and what the story of that is, it is, 
his son is kind of like a, just a typical kind of like college kind of kid, kind of party kind of guy. And they, one of his friends who like deals in ecstasy or something like that, the feds swoop him up and then they're like, well, you know, give us somebody else. And then they end up, he, and basically they end up entrapping this kid. He accepts a package that he knows is drugs at his house. And then they swoop in on him and they're like, you know, okay, well, if you, if you don't want to go to prison, to federal prison for the next 10 years, roll over on somebody. And of course he doesn't really have anybody to roll over on. And then he does maybe know of one or two people, but he doesn't want to do it. And then the, the story goes from like, what does, what does his dad, who's Dwayne Johnson do, you know, to try and help his kid out. And it's, it's an interesting movie. Hmm. Um, and these movies were made by, uh, by a company who they were trying to highlight through, through film. Like, this is how the feds, if they want to, can totally screw you over. And this is how basically the punishment doesn't, like we were talking about with this, the punishment doesn't really fit the crime. So some of that stuff. And I know, I don't know if you've got any, any, uh, particular movies or anything that you want to do or shows. I know we had talked about doing Peaky Blinders, which I still want to do. Peaky Blinders would be fun. Um, although I think we could do maybe, I don't know that we would necessarily do episode to episode. Maybe do like maybe three or four at maybe, a time. Yeah, like chunks of it. But also another good one, you know, very that we had talked about, very similar to Black Mirror. Uh, I highly recommend, I think it's on Amazon Prime, is Philip K. Dick's Oh uh, yeah. Electric, Electric dreams. dreams. I watched the first one uh, a couple days ago. Ooh, I liked it with uh, Terrence Howard and um, rogue. I forget her name, uh, but she, oh, she was rogue yeah, yeah, from yeah. Uh, one of the X-Men movies and a pink one, something like that. Pan. Something I think, like that. Well, actually, yeah, no, I I'm, I'm spacing that particular episode, but uh, the whole series is nothing but really excellent actors top-notch actors the stories are 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 similar in a way in that they're you know kind of mm, dystopian mm, okay okay yeah to a to a degree yeah the first the very first one episode took place where you have it's almost like the uh the old phrase of i was a man who dreamed i was a butterfly but then I couldn't tell like, or like, am I a man who dreamed I was a butterfly or I'm a butterfly who dreamed he was a man mm-hmm. type thing. And that's sort of, you get a little bit of that with the very first episode where you have, they're using basically kind of virtual reality type stuff. And it's, it's so, oh, it's so inclusive yeah. or it's so all encompassing that you, now, I know you exactly really can't what tell. episode you're talking about, and that is a phenomenal episode. And so, and so the episode are, or, or, the, or the the dilemma of the characters is sort of like that thing: Are you a butterfly dreaming you're a man, or are you a man dreaming you're a butterfly? Yes. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And so, all yeah. just came back to me which which episode you're you're referring to, and it it that's phenomenal. We should cover that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do some of those. There's, there's actually some really good stuff on HBO, like little, uh, short mini series type thing. There was one, and I've only seen the very first one called, it's called room one Oh four. 
And it, I guess mm. it takes place in all these different events will transpire in this particular hotel room. And the first, oh. the first story is about this lady. There's a, a, a guy with his kids or with his kid. And he, um, he gets this girl to come in and babysit for him while he's going to go out on this date. And then a bunch of other stuff, and then some, you know, stuff transpires from there. But I tell you what, let's go ahead and we'll draw the show to a close and, um, oh, one, uh, well, before we do that, I know we always do this. Speaking of, um, since we are talking about Black Mirror, there's another show called Black Summer, which is a zombie thing. If you're not into the zombie thing, I can understand that. I like this one in that it's only, I think, seven or eight episodes. The longest episode, I think, is about 40 minutes. And what it does is it, it's, a. Uh, Almost you, you can in some way almost look at it as you have several different groups. It's kind of like an ensemble cast. So you're with similar to how Walking Dead had you're with group A for a little bit. Then you're with group B. Then you're with group C. And so that's how you sort of are with this. And eventually they all kind of and they do their paths do cross and intertwine. And the whole thing is there has been this sort of like rage zombie outbreak. So they're fast moving zombies. Um, and the whole thing is that. They are trying, all these survivors are all trying to get from wherever they're at, point A to point B, which is the stadium where the military is going to supposedly get them out um, if they can get there in time. Um, And when I first started watching, I thought, eh, but then as I watched more of them, I really liked it. Uh, And I like the, I think that it's it's a case of where not all, but the majority of the actors sort of elevate and, 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 um, elevate the material and give it a little bit more, Oh, that's what I'm looking for. Like gravitas or give it a little bit more, more bite, so to speak. Like they elevate the material a little bit more than kind of, they make it go beyond kind of what it is just on the page. So other than that, you know, that's, uh, unless you got anything else to throw in, I think we'll go ahead and call the show to a close. Sounds good to me, Tony. All right, let me give you guys that contact info if you have uh, movies you'd like us to talk about. Uh, Again, the voicemail is area code 206-745-2731. The email, if you want to record your own audio or send an email, we'll read it out for you on the show, is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. All right, my monkeys, we will see you next time.